the last chapter, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And uh, look at verse 17. We'll start there tonight and uh, keep your Bibles open. I don't have all the verses on the screens tonight, uh, just for sake of time and for sake of that I forgot. <laughs> and so, uh, but we'll be glancing at them, so always keep your Bibles open. We'll be glancing at them. We won't hit every verse tonight uh, because nobody brought a sack lunch and I always end by 12 o'clock on Sunday nights. <laughs> so we're going to look at Revelation 22. Jesus is champion. That's the theme of Revelation, that Jesus is the, the hero of heroes, the star of stars. Uh, he is the champion of love, champion of all. And so uh, Revelation really uh, comes to its crescendo with this idea of Jesus as our champion tonight. So look at verse 17, and uh, let's talk about it a little bit tonight, asking, trusting, depending on the Holy Spirit to make Jesus very real and to make heaven very real to us. The Spirit... And the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Well, I wonder what the best invitation you've ever had was. I read about a family of five that's uh, mom, dad, and uh, two daughters, 17 and 14, and they received a wedding invitation from uh, like a cousin, kind of a distant relative, kind of like. And so they saw the invitation at the top of the stack of mail they got that day. When they opened the invitation up, the invitation was addressed to the mom, dad, two daughters. Grandma was left out, and grandma wasn't happy about it. Um, she's like, well, I mean, they left my name out. And so uh, she told the 14-year-old, said, Shoot, you can just go ahead and text them. And tell them if they realize their mistake, don't worry about sending me an invitation because I ain't coming. And you can go ahead and tell them I think they look kind of smug in their wedding pictures on Facebook too. <laughs> I think they look a little stuck up. And, uh, I mean, she, she kind of had had it with them for forgetting her invitation. Um, as they sorted through the mail, uh, after they got through looking at the invitation, they realized she had her own invitation. They singled her out to have her. I mean, she was livid at the beginning. All of a sudden, now she realized she has her own invitation, and she's all about that. I've got my own invitation. She's going to get her a special dress to go to, to go to this wedding, and she can't wait, and she's more special than the rest of them. And so she was so, so happy about her personal invitation. And aren't you glad tonight you've got a personal invitation to the greatest place ever? I saw another place, you know how you get an RSVP uh, to, to let people know if you're coming to the wedding or coming to the party or coming to the whatever. I love this. It says the favor of a reply is kindly requested by May 5th. And it has usually, you know, you're coming or you're not coming. This person listed four choices. I love this. Four choices. I will enthusiastically attend, regretfully decline, regretfully attend, <laughs> And so for some of the guys who may be thinking about the wedding, I enthusiastically decline. <laughs> so we, we want to enthusiastically accept this invitation from Jesus tonight. I want to look at it tonight as we close out uh, the book of Revelation that Jesus, uh, in fact, if you look at the book of Revelation, it is really uh, a book of invitation. In fact, if you look at the entire Bible, the entire Bible really is an invitation to be family and friends with God. God. Doesn't that blow your mind? We say that a lot. We think about that a lot, but it really does blow our minds when we realize the God of the universe invites us 
invites us to be a part of his family. And Jesus even said he would call us his friends. This idea of invitation, this idea of God wanting us to be a part of his family is a huge theme. All the way through scripture, when God put man in the Garden of Eden, what was that all about? It was about family, about fellowship, about them enjoying each other. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, and God came after them. Why did he come after them? He did not come after them to punish them, but to restore them to the family. Why did God make the children of Israel his own nation? As a family, that the Messiah could come through. That's why Jesus came. You look at the epistles in the New Testament. All of that's about what? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you've sinned, if you've fallen away, all of us have at some point. Come to To Jesus, he invites us to come. What a staggering, astounding thing that the God of of heaven and earth would would say, come. We should be on our knees begging to get in, right? We should be on our knees crying out to give in. What audacity and snobbery it is when we turn down the invitation to be family and friends with God. And so we want to look at it tonight as Jesus says, come to me. Just, you don't have to clean your life up first. You don't have to be certain kind of person, certain uh, economic status. You don't have to be belong to a certain kind of church. Come to me. So I want to talk about three things about this uh, invitation. Hopefully, hopefully with the idea that there would be a sense of wonder in our hearts, a sense of astonishment in our hearts, a sense of amazement in our hearts at our God who invites us to be family and friends with him. First of all, we're going to see this is, a great, this is the best invitation ever because of the place. Now, last time we talked, we talked a little bit about this new place called heaven. We looked at the new Jerusalem coming down, the capital city, and we talked about the gates of pearl and all the beautiful, beautiful things about heaven. But that, that description continues in Revelation 22. In fact, the first five or six uh, verses of Revelation 22 really are a continuation of Revelation 21. It's not a stop and break and a whole new thing. It really is a continuation. And so last time we saw God wiping away all tears, no more sickness, no more. I love the idea that death dies. No more dying, no more crying. We talked about it soon and very soon. Uh, all these things that, that trouble us, that break our heart, that are disappointing, disillusioning, that, that rob the joy of our lives, the disagreements that we have, the frustrations that we have. God's going to wipe all that away. There's no more reason for any more tears. And so the description continues. Look at the first verse of Revelation 22 in, um, in the uh, New International Version. Uh, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It's clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, last time, as I said, we saw the gates of pearl and the walls of Jasper and the golden streets. We saw all of that. Uh, we saw the 1,500-mile cube city shaped like the Holy of Holies. This is where God dwells with his people. And uh, tonight, we're going to see a couple of more things about it, about the description. No one is. There is a river. There's a river that flows from the throne of God. Did you see it there? Verse 1, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. And it flows crystal clear 
down the street of the city. Now, as you try to imagine that, uh, one writer said it this way. He said, I see it as a cascading river. I see it tumbling like a waterfall across the crystal city, splashing across the transparent gold. And, you know, as it, tra- as it goes across the transparent gold, the crystal clear moving water refracts light at every change of flow, which adds to the blaze of glory. As mortal human beings and as a goofball like me, I have questions about this river. Can you swim in it? Can you fish in it? Are there crawfish there? Do they taste as good as crawfish here do? (laughs) I'm from Louisiana. You'll just have to excuse that. Can you drink the water? What kind of water uh, is it? And I think really looking at all that misses the point of the river. The point of the river, what God is saying is the river pictures the life-giving presence of God amongst his people. We can't do anything without water, right? It takes water for us to survive. It takes water for our plants to survive. It takes water for our animals to survive. We are absolutely dependent on water to survive. We can't eat. We can't sustain life without water. And so the idea of this river flowing from God, from the throne of God, this is God's life flowing to us. This is God's presence flowing through us. You've seen it over the last couple of weeks. If you drive around, you pay attention, you look at the crops when there's been two or three weeks of uh, no rain and 100 degree fever and those crops look like what? Somebody please bring me some water. <laughs> I mean, they're just droopy and, and, then, and then you get about an inch and a half rain on them, get a little cloud cover, what? Brightens back up, doesn't it? God is saying the river of life will be a continual brightening up of your life, brightening up of your spirit, brightening up of your relationships, brightening up of your joy. All that's happening. Why? Because the water means life, beautiful life, and fulfilling life, energetic life, sustaining life. My wife, Laura, loves to say it means life with a capital L. But it's not only is there going to be, uh, by the way, it reminds us of Eden, doesn't it? In Eden, Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, in Eden there was a river. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. And so it, satis- it symbolizes life and satisfaction. Life and satisfaction. We won't thirst for love. We won't thirst to be accepted. We won't thirst for belonging. We won't thirst for meaningful relationships. We won't thirst for a dynamic experience with Jesus. We won't thirst to be unstuck in our relationship with God. We won't even thirst for revival because we'll experience it all the time. Somebody say all the time. Isn't that great to have continuous revival all the time in the presence of God? But not only that, there's also a tree. There's also a tree. The Bible says there's the tree of life. Once again, if you think about it, uh, maybe you wonder some questions. How does a tree grow out of gold? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a place tree grows. Jason, you don't cut trees in golden places, do you? You cut trees where there's dirt. Can we eat the fruit of it? What kind of, fr- what kind of fruit is it? Can you make a fort in it? Can you make a tree house? I mean, there's all kinds of things you might ask about this tree. Are there more than one tree? Once again, The idea behind the tree is it symbolizes the life-giving presence of God. Reminds us of Eden. In Eden, there was a river and there was the tree of life. 
And that's what this tree is. This tree is the tree of life. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Uh, see, when God saw that man and uh, Adam and Eve sinned by eating of the knowledge of good and evil, he drove them out of the garden so they could not eat of the tree of life. This was a gift of grace because he did not want them to live in that state forever. He didn't want them to live separated with a fractured uh, relationship with God. So it was very, very kind of God for that tree uh, to be, for them to be banned from that tree. But in heaven, the tree of life will be there. And the Bible says it bears 12 crops or 12 kinds of fruit. Fruit will always be in season. That's a good thing, isn't it? I was got some strawberries out there. I told Laura, I said, pick some strawberries up from the store for I had a hankering for some strawberries. And she said, are they in season? I said, yeah, they're in season. I want some. <laughs> they, may, they may not be sweet, but they're in season, you know. The fruit will, I mean, every month, every month, that's, that's, that's bearing and turning it around. Isn't it? I mean, that ain't even have time to clean out your cotton picker. You got to turn it around and replant it, re-go at it. The idea is perpetual energy, perpetual provision, perpetual food. What we need for life is perpetually happening to us. And then there's an interesting phrase there. It says the leaves are for the healing of the nation. And you think, well, I thought there was no more sickness there. Why do we need healing? And I've had people ask that uh, numerous times. And, and do we eat them? Do we rub them on? You know, what is the interesting word there, when it says the, the leaves are for the healing of the nations, the word healing there is the word that we get our word therapeutic from or therapy from. And so it's not that, the need, not that you'll be sick and you need healing. These are like vitamins, Okay, this is like supplements to your diet. In other words, the leaves are, so, are not to make you well, but keep you well. <laughs> the leaves are not to heal a sickness, but keep you from a sickness. They enrich life. And so the, the, we don't know exactly what kind of fruit this will be. We don't know how we'll use the leaves of the tree. I, I think trying to picture that as, you know, physical trees growing out of gold doesn't really, uh, I think, get it. I think the idea is God gives us everything we need for the most fulfilling life we can possibly live. Having said that, I still hope there's cherry cobbler. <laughs> I still hope there's some really, really good fruit on those trees. It really does. Now, now see here, last week we talked about the 1,500-mile cube city of the New Jerusalem. Um, this week we have a river and a tree. Uh, one sounds like an apartment high-rise. The other one sounds like a garden. Uh, if you don't like living in cities, then you can live in the country. Okay, I think what it's saying. And I don't think we're meant to try to say it's either one of those two. Literally, whatever you need is there. Whatever you need is provided for you and provided more than you could ever ask for. It is absolutely satisfying, completely satisfying life. Heaven will be everything you and I need and we'll have the time of our lives. Somebody say thank you, Lord. 
Revelation 22, 3. No longer will there be any more curse. You see, it's, what you're seeing here with the river of life and the tree of life is a reversal of the curse in Eden. Eden was life as God meant it to be. After mankind sinned, this is not life as God meant it to be. This is, this is life broken. Well, we praise God, can still experience forgiveness, and can still experience joy, can still experience meaning. But man, you don't have to look around very far. No, this is broken place. It doesn't work like it's supposed to. It will work like it was supposed to, like you've never seen it work ever in your life. Now, there'll never be, there'll be any more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. What does that mean? I think it means meaningful work. We'll worship God, sure. We'll be talking to each other, sure. But I think the idea that we will serve him, part of that's worship, but I believe part of that's meaningful work. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book called Heaven, which is really a fascinating book, said it this way, because work began before sin and the curse, and because God, who is without sin, is a worker, what do we say? God is always at work. He's not going to quit in heaven, right? God is always at work. God is a worker. We should assume human beings will work on the new earth. Now, here's the catch. We'll have satisfying and enriching work that we can't wait to get back to work that will never be drudgery think about this what could what would you want to do if money was no object what kind of job would you want to have if money it didn't you couldn't fail and you were going to make a lot of money doing it going to make enough money to live on doing it if, if you didn't have to worry about an education what would be your dream job i think you'll have it in heaven I think there'll be, if you're an engineer here, you might be an engineer there. If you're a carpenter here, you might be a carpenter there. If you always wanted your own fishing show, maybe you'll have your own fishing show there, whatever it is. Now, there'll be some people going to be out of a job. Doctors going to be out of a job. Funeral directors going to be out of a job. Pharmacists going to be out of a job. Uh, dope dealers going <laughs> to be out of a job, right? Uh, some people say that preachers going to be out of a job, but I don't believe it. <laughs> They say they're singing in heaven. But you look through the book of Revelation we went through, a lot of times they're saying, worthy is the Lamb. They're, not, they're singing a few times. More often than not, they're saying, worthy is the Lamb. So I think I still got a job. I think Holt still has a job in heaven. You may not be working on helicopters, but you could be a youth pastor. You'd rather be a youth pastor anyway, wouldn't you? Communication, dialogue, other relationship enriching things. I mean, think about it. We're going to be there, as we saw last week, in the presence of God with every other Christian who's ever been saved. The angels are going to be there, and we get a chance to interact with all kind of relationship-building things with all these different kind of people. I, I got thinking, my mind goes squirrely ways, but I got thinking about this. I wonder if in heaven, if there's an angel going to come up to you one day and say, dude, you remember that? Because angels say dude a lot. <laughs> That's one of their favorite words. They say, dude, you remember that time when you almost had that wreck and that car, I mean, you don't even know how you, that car did that? That's me. <laughs> I saved you on that. I'm about to high five right there. Because angels like to high five people. Y'all know that? I mean, you know, why not? So, so it, it, we're gonna be, it's the best invitation because of the place. Secondly, because of the person who the invitation is from. Last week, we talked about new people. We're new people, but look at who this invitation comes from. I don't know if y'all do what Laura and I do, but I tend to get the mail. If, it's a, if I see it's an invitation, like a wedding invitation, graduation invitation, party invitation, I don't know about y'all, first thing I do, what's the first thing y'all do? Return to dress. 
<laughs> First thing I do, look at the return address, see how excited I am about opening this thing. And uh, we got one the other day, return address, California, it's yours, Laura. <laughs> That's not me, I don't have anything to do with that. Look at Revelation 22, 13. Look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus speaking personally, identifying himself by who he is. Look at what he says. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm A to Z. What does he mean by that? I am A to Z. I'm the beginning and the end. There was nothing that existed before me. Nothing exists after me. I am eternal. I am infinite. I am the consummate. I am the beginner of all things, and I am the consummation of all things. The boundless life that God promises is wrapped up in Jesus. He transcends everything. The source and consummation of everything. He's not a created being. I love what one guy said. Jesus. Oh, oh, that I could live this way, God. Oh, that I could live this way. That Jesus is the first and last word on life. He's the first word on life. He's the last word on life. Everything I need is in Christ. Look at uh, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This is not some human call. This is a d divine call from the, from the God-man Jesus. And he says there, he says, I am the root and offspring of David. So what that means is, I am David's ancestor, and I'm also David's descendant. Now, how can you be both? How can you be somebody's great-grandfather and also somebody's great-grandson. <laughs> Jesus confused the Pharisees uh, with this when they were asking him questions. And Jesus said, let me ask you a question. Uh, how can David call the Messiah the one to come his Lord, which he does in Psalm 110? And so how do you, how do you become ancestor descended at the same time? Well, it's, just, it's real easy. It is that Jesus is the creator. He's divine. He's God. He's A. <laughs> He's A. And yet, he came in the Davidic line of, of David. He came in the Davidic line of the kings. He is David's descendant. He comes from that kingly rule that God promised the Messiah would come through. And so, he's God, the starter of all things. He's also a man born from the line of David. That's how he can be ancestor and descendant at the same time. You ain't going to find anybody else can do that. You serve a unique Savior. But he also says he's the bright and morning star. It's a bright and morning star. For, for a Jew to call somebody a star, it means that they were, they, they exalted. It's kind of like us. You know, if we say somebody's a star, what does that mean? Man, they're, they're, they're it. You know, we, we honor them, we exalt them, we celebrate them, we give them fame. You know, the, uh, in Hollywood, I'm told I've been there, but you know, you're stars in the sidewalk of people who've accomplished so much. Um, Football season just starting out. And uh, before long, they'll be talking about what? Who's going to win the Heisman Trophy? Who's going to be the Heisman candidate this year? I don't know who's going to be Heisman, but I know who the high one is. <laughs> the high one's Jesus. He is the bright and morning star. The morning star is the brightest star. It's the star that shows the day's coming. It's the brightest star. The hero of heroes is your and my Lord Jesus Christ. He is the transcendent, eternal, infinite Lord, and we get to see him 
the song we sang a minute ago, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold, I look upon him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face shall I behold him far beyond the starry sky. And here's where it gets so easy to miss it. Face to face in all his glory. See, we can't see that today. It'd kill us. The, 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 if God's Shekinah glory would shine in this place tonight, uh, our finite bodies wouldn't be able to stand it, but we'll be able to stand it then. Face to face in all his glory. What an invitation to have full, unbroken fellowship with God and his people forever and ever. Last of all, there's the parameters. There's the parameters. This invitation is issued to everyone, but not everyone gets to go to this place. Not everyone gets to experience the fullness of fellowship that God promises. Look in uh, Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 to 15. New International Version says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What does it say? What is it, what's, the, what's the big idea here? The big idea here is, is heaven is for forgiven people. It's not for perfect people. It's not for people that got their act together. It's not for people that measure up to a certain standard. It's not even for people that don't commit the sins that are mentioned in this list. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a representative list. We have another one back in Revelation 21. Got another one back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The idea here, the washing of the robes, the idea is that when we come to Christ, as we had a, a lady come this morning, and I asked her, do you believe? That if you call on the name of the Lord right now, that Christ would forgive all your sins and give you eternal life. And when she prayed, trusting that she prayed, and I, I believe all my heart she was, she prays from her heart and said, I can't earn it, and I'm sorry for my sins. I open my heart and life to you. I ask you, Lord, to come in. Forgive my sins. Give me a new heart and help me love and follow you all the days of my life instantaneously from light from darkness to light instantaneously robes washed in the blood of Christ I don't understand how black sin washed in red blood makes a robe white but I also don't understand how a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk but I ain't gonna quit drinking milk right you don't have to understand it to, to, to get in on it. It's forgiven people. We're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And then he talks about, uh, as I said, a, a list of sins. We've seen these lists of sins before. One of the interesting ones here is he talks about outside of the dogs. Dogs are treated differently in the ancient world than dogs are treated today. Um, I heard someone say, <laughs> if a... Uh, you know, somebody asked me today, do I think there's life, you know, could there be life on another planet? Could there be a, a, could it be that God had prepared another planet somewhere or another? It could be. But if, uh, if there was life on other planets and they visited us, they might think dogs are running this thing. Who's walking behind who with the pooper scooper? <laughs> I mean, you take the dog to the, bar, to the barber shop, 
take the dog to the vet. You can buy insurance for the dog, cemetery for the dog. I think the dog haircut costs more than our haircuts do, if I understand it rightly. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's, what we, that's how we think. That's not how they thought. They didn't do that for dogs in this day. In this day, dogs were curs. They, they were low. A dog, if you call somebody, they weren't nearly as domesticated as they are. They lived in the garbage dumps and things like that. And so, to call somebody a dog in this day was, was to say, They are of the lowest moral character. That's what he's talking about. Now, it's clear in Revelation, as we go see just a minute, Jesus says to the dogs, what? Come. Come to me. Come to me. Heaven isn't exclusively against these people. Heaven is for forgiven people. So all of these people, in fact, 1 Corinthians 6 says, and such were some of you. It's not that some sin less or more. It's that we come to Christ for our forgiveness. It's God's home and God's family are the ones that are invited in. And look at what it says. There's a real urgency here. Look as we we get ready to close. Revelation 22, 7. Look, I am coming soon. Behold is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Revelation 22, 12, the first part of that verse. Look, I am coming soon. Revelation 22, 20, three times. He who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming soon. How can Jesus say, I'm coming soon, and it's been 2,000 years? Well, Paul and John believed that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. And the idea of Jesus coming soon is it could be any minute. There's an urgency to it. If your heart is not right, you need to get it right today. If you've never been saved, this is the day. If you have lost friends and family members, it is not something to put off. It's not something to procrastinate about. They need to be way at the top of your prayer list. They need to be people you're beseeching God for a while. There is an urgency that permeates all of the Bible and all of the book of Revelation. In fact, I think the idea here is we are to live like he could come at any minute. You know, somebody was asking me, hadn't seen me in a long time, they was asking me uh, about the kids. I said, yeah, Hannah Grace is a, a senior at Troy and Joel's starting LBW. And they're like, boy, time goes by fast, doesn't it? And, um, and I heard somebody say, when your kids are small, the, the, the days are long, the years are short. Makes sense, doesn't it? I, tr- I translate that, the nights are long. <laughs> and the years are short. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter, uh, really, how long you live. You get to the end of it, it's going to feel like it was short. And if Jesus was to come tonight, we'd like, boy, that happened in a hurry. Boy, it, 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 see, whenever he comes, time's going to be over with, and it's going to feel like it was really, really short. Uh, Verse 10 and 11, he says, then he told me, don't sit up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time's near. It's near. The one who does wrong continue to do wrong. The vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. Now, we know that God doesn't mean, if you're not saved, just forget it. That's against the whole heart of God. It's against the whole tenor of Scripture. And the idea, I think, I think it's an ironic statement. I think the idea is because Jesus is coming soon, if you're doing wrong and you're not saved, boy, you're on the very verge of not being able to get to do right. You're on the very verge, you're on the very edge of not being able to be able to be saved. So he's right there on the very edge. He set the parameter. The parameter is 
Jesus. You have to come through Jesus. And if you're not willing to come that way, boy, you're, he's pressing home the point that time is really, really short. Come to Jesus while there's still time. God has set the parameter, and the parameter is his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. But we do perish outside of him, right? There's perishing outside of him. And so the parameter is everybody. It's as wide and narrow as Jesus himself. It's a funny thing. I don't know what's going on with our vehicles right now, but I've had to have two vehicles in the shop lately. Uh, one, one of our vehicles, the um, the lid on the you know how the you have the thing on the inside of the car you punch and the lid opens up for you so you can get to the gas cap well that wouldn't open up some of the time which is an unfortunate thing <laughs> if you're if you're out of gas and you pull up to the gas station you punch it won't open you, you kind of want it to open then you know and so you drive off and you come back by and you try you punch it again and then it might open it might not and so I thought well that's not worth risking <laughs> you gotta get you gotta get that in the uh in the shop and then another vehicle the trunk wouldn't open and if you did happen to get it open which you could with a key it wouldn't shut and, uh, and so I took it to the shop, and I said, look, man, I, I hadn't opened this trunk in a while because it won't shut. And so let's, let's say they opened it up and uh, ended up tying it down with a rope. <laughs> so they couldn't get it shut either. So they got a new part for it. And he said, by the way, and I tried already told the people to order me a part. He said, your door handle's about to fall off. You're not going to be able to get it out of your door. I said, I know. And it's frustrating not to be able to get in something you want to get into, right? Look, nothing more frustrating than to say, I had opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus and I got left out because I chose to put it off. I put this trunk thing off, y'all. It's probably been a year since I've been able to open that trunk because there wasn't anything really that important in it and I didn't want to have to leave my car at the shop. And so I just put it off, put it off, put it off. It wasn't that big. But if, I, if there had been something in there I really needed, I would have kind of been in a bind. Listen, we really need Jesus. And today's the day to run to him on your own behalf. Most of us here tonight probably say, but to run to him on other people's behalf and say, oh, dear God, help them to see that it's, an earth, it's the most important decision of their life. Give their heart to Jesus. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Hey, we got the tree of life, the river of life presence of Jesus face to face in all of his glory the best is yet to come for Christians the best days are always ahead of us maybe here on earth it's easy for people to get discouraged and think man I can't do what I used to could do I can't work like I used to could work I can't do the things I used to don't look like I used to hey your best day is still ahead you're going to be stronger, faster, work harder, more beautiful than you ever dreamed you could be. And more than that, maybe your friends, some of your friends have died. Maybe some family members have died. Hey, you're looking to a place where you and your loved ones who are in Jesus will never, ever be separated again. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you tonight. We thank you that the most glorious life we could ever imagine has been offered through the blood of your son and Lord I knew when I started this message that I would fall woefully woefully short 
words cannot describe what you have prepared for us. We thank you for the language of Revelation 21 and 22, the most exquisite language that we have to describe the most enriching, fulfilling life that we could ever experience. Lord, I pray that the anticipation of that, the anticipation of seeing you, would help us and encourage us to live fully and wholly for you, to long for your presence in our life today. Long for your presence today. As your heads bowed and eyes closed, as Lisa plays softly, if you want to come kneel at the altar and just say thank you, Lord.